0: hey awesome people a huge welcome to the ninth episode of the second season of lantern we're a podcast about young people trying to change the world and trying to understand what that actually means this fortnight we're sitting down with Yasmin Paul, who was the chair of the 2018 victorian youth congress an advisory group of people aged between 12 to 24 formed by the victorian government to shape policy affecting young people Now it can sometimes be quite easy to disengage from politics or become disillusioned from it all because we feel like we're not being heard and Yasmin definitely admits that there are some real challenges causing this. But after hearing her thoughts on potential solutions, I honestly think there's no better time to start to re-engage. Unfortunately, we did have an issue with our recording set up in this episode, so my voice might sound a little bit off, but I hope you can all still enjoy this amazing chat we had with Yasmin.
1: Well, who am I is a bit of a tough question, but I suppose who I am in a nutshell, I'm a third-year law and chash relations student. My name is Yasmin Poole, and I'm interested in a lot of things, but I think my biggest thing right now is encouraging more young women to enter into politics and also feel empowered to use their voice in government and the political space.
0: And where did you find that passion? Was there like a, mm. a moment that really triggered for you, or was it more accumulation of different experiences?
1: Well, I think it started off... For me, actually just my interest within government and politics in general began probably at an early age, I think I was 17, I was working in retail, I was making about $12 an hour and I was like, this sucks. But I had no idea that I could use my voice to actually say that I I wasn't happy with being underpaid, whatever it may be, and I realised that Young people are so often disconnected from realising that they can use their voice for good because they feel as if they can't, especially if they're under the voting age. So for me, I guess my interest began working in youth-led NGOs and that was just volunteering over my gap year. I think I was like 17, 18. And I saw these amazing groups of young people and I was like, this is so powerful, and why haven't I heard about this before and all the efforts that they're doing? I suppose that's how I started my journey. But I guess when I became interested in young women becoming involved in politics was almost self-interested because I saw many of women my age and even myself going into political spaces, like political events, and it was... I describe it as a sea of suits. And I realised that there's something terribly, terribly wrong here. There are just aren't enough women, whether that be because they're discouraged, whether because they see what happens on the media and the way female politicians are treated, so then I was like, well, you know, I've developed this platform for myself, and this is something that I'm really passionate about, because at the end of the day, 0%, a recent survey revealed that 0% of young women aspire to be politicians, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands surveyed, and that's when I realised really something has to be done, and that's, I suppose, what started my journey. to to
2: hear. Where did that focus or passion politics come from? Because Mm -hmm. most young people are pretty disengaged, disenfranchised Mm -hmm. with politics. It's not looked upon as quite a a laudable kind of career path. It's often just like student politics, political hacks, Mm -hmm. over there in the corner, Mm -hmm. that's it. It
1: Gets a bit of a bad rap doesn't it? especially student politics, I've had my fair share and I was like, never again! (laughs) Even politics, though, and I think it's not even just a young person's thing, but the way that politics is perceived in Australia is one of, I think, the highest disillusionment rates across the board. So people as a whole are more politically aware than ever before, and more disillusioned than ever before. But I suppose what first out of my interest is that I was always the kind of debating type in high school. I was just, that was what I was interested in. Really interested in history, especially the way that leaders lead. Uh, I thought that was very fascinating to kind of read about. I've been getting more into, into that reading the whole, you know, Machiavelli philosophy thing. It's very interesting to me. But my interests first began in year eight. I went to Canberra and they took us to the House of Representatives and no one cared less about being there. Like seriously, no one cared. They were like. Can we just go, like, go to Questacon or what, whatever was there at the time? <laughs> but I was sitting there. There was no MPs. It wasn't question time. I was just sitting there, and I just had this moment of realizing how powerful that room was. Like, it was just the energy of being in that room, and I could just feel it in my bones that I, I was meant to be there one day. It was just, it was just this gut thing. And then since then, I was in Victorian Youth Parliament, and that's when I won Best Speaker of the Legislative Assembly, which I entirely didn't expect but it made me realize that maybe something is good here. Maybe I'm using what I'm good at, which is speaking, which is empathizing, which is understanding others' point of view for good. And maybe, you know, I can use my skills here. And when I think about, you know, all these other kind of roles, I'm like, yeah, there's government, whatever, whatever. But when I think about, you know, that kind of room and and using what I'm good at, I would just really see myself there. So I agree with you, though. There is a lot of disillusionment, and I'm trying to change the conversation about that. But I don't think it's that young people don't care. Because I think if we saw with the recent uh, plebiscite, young people care, it's just that young people don't feel like they're going to be heard. So then they just feel like, what's the point? So it's about saying, use those causes and use that to speak to your MPs, use that to advocate for political change. And that is how you can engage young people in politics.
0: I just want to touch on that idea, because you said, you know, this disillusionment does sort of come from people feel like they're not being heard, their was something to recognise. recognised. What are some, I guess, practical steps you thought that we can sort of, I guess, maybe change up the system a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of options. So one of the biggest things I did last year was chairing the Victorian Government's Youth Congress. And that was the Victorian government's first ever kind of youth advisory board. So there were 20 young people picked from rural and regional areas and also city, people that have experienced mental health issues, people that have experienced homelessness. Like there was a huge variety of people. And through that, we worked on developing policy recommendations to the government about an issue area of our choice, which was mental health. And these were concrete policy recommendations that we worked on for a good year. And it was also paid, may I add, which was amazing because often youth kind of led, we're just expected to volunteer our time. And that was amazing because we got to speak with the Minister for Youth Affairs. We got to advise the Department of Premier and Cabinet. And I just thought that was such a fantastic initiative because it, we, they really valued our input about you know, employment schemes, how to make it more inclusive. So I think that having a lot more youth advice within the realms of government and politics is really fantastic, whether MPs make their own youth advisory board, whatever it is, but they also have to make sure that they actually are hearing those young people, that there is a direction for those boards as well. It's easy enough to just say, oh, look, this is a great initiative and let it die. So we had the support of the Office for Youth for Department of Health and Human Services and they were fantastic. They didn't force us to come up with a certain idea, they just helped guide us along. So that's an an idea. For young women, I also push paid internships with MPs. So I recently did a program called Girls Take Over Parliament, which is uh, young women taking over the office of an MP for the day. So they get to run meetings, they get to write a speech, and that was just a really interesting insight into life as an MP. You got to speak with the MP like it was... It was really interesting. So I think encouraging more women through leadership schemes and and that kind of thing would be really good just to to break down the barriers of Parliament and realise that it is for everybody if they do decide to take an interest in it.
2: When a young person is thinking about participating in those programs, particularly those if they're run by MPs or Parliament, which have historically been very tokenistic and we're just checking a box, how do you think you can assess whether this is actually a legitimate opportunity where they're going to take my recommendations on board. Or even if, say, you're already involved in the process but you feel like you're not really being taken seriously. Do you have any advice for that?
1: To be honest, sometimes it's a little bit tricky, especially if it's just from above and they're they're kind of putting you there. But I I would say just raise that with the people that are organising it. Raise, whether it be concerns or maybe just ways that... Make sure that what you're recommending as well is feasible. Make sure they're tangible, well-developed policy recommendations. It's easy enough to say, oh, let's invest more in mental health. Okay, what does that look like? So breaking it... And I'm not saying... They will always take that. Youth Parliament was a perfect example. We researched, you know, hours upon hours. MPs aren't always, they're not going to take it and necessarily just like legalise this or pass this, like, you know, it's, but it is building towards dialogue and conversation and getting the ideas in their head. But if you within border organisation can show that you've done the research, that this is actually something that can be feasibly implemented and prove your case why, that's probably the most that you can do as well as raise it with them if you feel like it is being tokenistic. But make sure you're doing your part and putting all you can in by making it something that they definitely can take on board rather than just cast to the side and say oh it's too hard too expensive we don't see how this can be done that's what we did in in youth congress it was things like expanding the amount of mental health sessions you can have at at headspace it's not impossible and we proved our case why it should be that it would actually improve the economy as a result it would mitigate people being in hospitals because it would have that mid-stage treatment for mental health so that's what I would say to that.
2: I was wondering, how, how do you balance all this stuff that you're doing, internships, opportunities, especially with uni? And I guess that also leads into kind of self-care and how
1: yeah. you approach that. Self-care is hugely important and also entirely underrated within young people. That's also what I missed out on. On my first year of uni, I was like, I said yes to everything. I really did because I was like, this looks interesting. This looks interesting. I'll volunteer for this. I'll do this. To be honest, half of it probably I'll never use, you know, there's only so much you can put on a resume and you don't have to put a laundry list of everything that you've done. That was my big lesson. So last year I actually took a step back from all of that. I just transferred to ANU from Monash and I got involved with far less and in the beginning it was really scary because I thought, God, people have this image of me that I'm doing so much and I'm not doing that much, I'm just going home and studying and I felt really down for a little while until I look back and I that my grades were higher, I was in a far better mental space to concentrate on uni and actually what mattered. And I went, that's actually significant, that I didn't take on too much and get totally overwhelmed. And my mum's a mental health nurse, as I said, so she's always preaching the importance of balance. So I think self-care is super duper important and I think that for every young person it should be questioning By all means, get involved with stuff in the beginning, but then you have to start being selective with what you do. Don't just do everything, because you won't use half of it, but do the stuff that you really care about. And because I time-prioritised, I could actually focus on what mattered, like Victorian Youth Congress, study, making friends, learning how to cook. I was a terrible cook last year, so actually not being super stressed out. I know a girl, and she is wonderful, but she got entirely burnt out last year. And, you know, she told me the stories of how she'd just be crying in the shower and it would be super, super tough. And I heard about that and I went, I would never want to put myself in that position because at some point your body will stop. If you're going to keep pushing it, it will not last forever. Sleep deprivation is not cool. You know, I feel like everybody's sleep deprived. I'm also sleep deprived at some stages, but it's not a sign of success. But what is successful is putting down healthy habits and learning to pick what's important and then sticking by them and learning to block out stuff which might not be as important in the long run.
2: I want to touch on Q&A. Do you want to tell us a bit about what that was like and how that came about? And also maybe, because we have some international listeners, maybe explain what Q&A actually is.
1: So Q&A is a, how do you even describe it? It's like a, shouting well, match. it's a shouting <laughs> match, maybe. Well, it stands, as you probably know, it stands for question and answer. So it's usually people of with involved in the political sphere being part of a panel and then the general public can ask them questions so it has about like a million viewers and episodes so it's pretty big in australia um all the student student politics student loves loves to watch their q a every week so i was also you know really i loved q a um it's so funny in 2017 like i said i went to q a with my friends i was in the audience and we literally looked at each other and we were like in 10 years like we're going to be in that panel in 10 years The next year I was on the panel, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) So anyway, law of attraction or power of attraction, whatever it may be. But in June, July, they had something called a people's panel. So that was just general. It was like general members of the public that typically watch Q&A, submit an audition video. And I was like, cool. So I submitted an audition video, didn't get onto the panel. I was like, all right, fair enough. And then, you know, five months rolled by. I had just come back from Papua New Guinea. I went to APEC over there literally the day after I just get this missed call from somebody from Q&A and I was like what is this? And the next thing I know is that because of my role in Victorian Youth Congress they were wanting to have me on because they are talking about the Victorian state elections which was insane. So it was just me and three other other senators, which was already intimidating. But, you know, I really respected that they were trying to encourage more young people. They used the people panel auditions to find inspiring young people to have on these panels. So I said, of course I'll be there. So the next week, next thing I knew, flying off to Sydney, trying to research and cram everything I can into my brain. It was just a stressful experience. But the experience there was just the most surreal thing that I've ever had for me it was just a symbol it's funny because last year I was talking about how I felt a little bit like I wasn't doing enough in a way because I was learning how to balance but it was a symbol that girl you're on the right track like something things are paying off because you're standing here right now about to go on Q&A and the experience was honestly probably blacked out half of the time because it's just that you're sitting there and you know like a million people are just casually watching everything you're saying they're, comment- they're commenting on Twitter like what are they saying I don't know but as I was sitting there I actually heard the other senators I started to get a bit annoyed and then the more annoyed I got the more calm I got I just got of like I was like hey I want to say something about this. So as I was on there, I just was as honest as I could. I talked about how my dad was homeless. Like when he was growing up, I talked about how my family struggled with low income all throughout my high school. I talked about, you know, the things that I've experienced. And I think that's refreshing because when you turn on the TV and you just see scripted, you know, stuff from politicians, it just doesn't resonate with anyone. It really doesn't. So when you see someone that's actually being authentic and has really struggled to get to the point that they are now, I felt like it came across on the screen, so it was really lovely, and they and they gave me so much respect despite my age. They really took a lot of time to listen to me with on the panel as well. Yeah, it was, it was surreal. What else can I say? I, I came back and I turned on my phone, and my phone's blowing up with notifications, like nothing I've ever seen before. Like I gained a thousand followers, like hundreds, <laughs> hundred. So like, oh my god! And you know, even though I got hate comments as well, I think I'll, I'll touch on that because lots of young people are so afraid to use their voice because of fear of that. There are lots of you know, not so nice people online, but I realized I was like, I don't care, because I was actually speaking really authentically, you know, and there was also so many people that were so glad to see that was a young woman using her voice on politics uh, and, and other issues that mattered close to her heart, and I realized that I could deal with the criticism, you know, despite whatever you say, it, I can take it, and that was also affirming to me that I I can use my voice and even though some people might not want to listen to me, I know it's other people are listening and that makes me feel better. But all in all, insane experience, probably the best experience
2: of my life. Yeah, in terms of handling that criticism, you talked about just kind of like not really caring, being very self-assured. Did it take some steps to get to that point or how how did you build that kind of armour around you almost? Because a lot of young people some people have been on Q&A just being game battered. Um, okay. So, yeah, just curious.
1: I don't know whether it was necessarily a long step-by-step, step, but I did a few months before I wrote an article for Fairfax because of my being an ambassador for Plans International, which is a NGO focused on, like, women's rights and improving the environment for young women within Australian and developing countries, so I wrote an opinion piece that was basically talking about the barriers facing young women in politics, so it was what happened to Sarah Hansen Young, and then all the slut-shaming that she experienced, and it really made me nervous because I knew that saying the word feminism is a buzzword for hate comments, it's just people that won't even read it or try to understand your point of view, and as I was writing it, I was truly trying to be as Fair and objective as possible because that's how I always try to portray my opinions rather than just yelling. I was trying to make people see, but I just knew that their response would also be somewhat negative. And it went out there. You know, I was 19, it was really intimidating, and I got, I definitely got some hate comments, especially when Q&A posted on Facebook, it was just people saying Yasmin has no idea what's going on in the world, she's probably just relying on her parents, you know, like acting like I don't know anything and that was, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't really hurt me, but it was a little bit frustrating that people just you know, here's like a 19 year old girl that's saying let's get more young women in politics, we know that young women are more disillusioned than ever before, let's encourage that by making sure that parliament was treated like a workplace, that the media is speak out against these sexist comments. And just by saying that, let's make parliament a fairer place, it creates all this, these crazy comments. Um, I knew it was well by saying my mum was Muslim. It's so funny, as soon as I said that I was like, I could just feel the hate comments. You know, and I'm not even Muslim myself, but I, I just knew I was going to be painted with this brush. Even when you Google search Yasmin Paul, the first thing that comes up is religion. So it's scary. And it's scary being honest because it makes you even more vulnerable to this type of stuff. But at the end of the day I can take constructive criticism, but it was realizing that this is at the end of the day noise. It it doesn't doesn't matter. You know, you can say all you want about me, but I'm still being honest and I'm being truthful and I'm trying to be as as fair and objective as I can and also use my but also use my experiences at the same time. So I think the step was just me publishing the article and then from there on I think I got a little bit better, but it's still not perfect. I was asked to write an article about trolling for Fairfax, for, actually for the ABC recently, and I turned it down because I didn't even want to pay attention to it and because I was worried about what would be thrown at me. So, you know, it's still not entirely there yet, but definitely a lot less afraid to say what I think because I know that I try my best to be as well-informed as, as I can and I know that if I'm not speaking out, then who is? You know what I mean? If everybody's too scared then the only people you're going to hear are people that, you know, are quite hateful. So that's how I view it anyway.
0: So a similar note, mm-hmm. like you actually mentioned after Q&A and you know, your phone blew up and you're holding new followers. How did you like, use that? Like, just, like, moving forward to make sure that you really capitalized on that exposure that you had.
1: Yeah, it was super intimidating, actually. Writing my first tweet, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like I was just like... I, and it was also, I have to say, a wave of kind comments. It was a small bunch that were not so kind, but they were all really lovely. So I think that I've been almost re-evaluating my social media use. I am trying to make it more authentic. Sometimes I feel like in the effort to build your career, you have to make kind of corny-sounding posts that's just a bit, ugh, like, cringy. <laughs> so it is tricky, but I feel like I've just tried to not only share what I'm doing, but I'm giving my political input as well. That's something that I didn't do before q and I was really trying to just, like, not... Because I was thinking about government and whatever, so I was like, oh, let's try to be as impartial as we can. But sometimes I see things on Twitter, and I'm like, hey, I want to speak out about this. Yeah. I want to use my voice. and Because people are listening now. People yeah. actually you know, listen to what I say. So I think that's how I use it, just to be a little bit more outspoken because I know that people are are listening now.
2: I kind of want to go back to the whole women in politics and perhaps yeah. the broader kind of conversation about kind of gender equity in the workforce and other kind of positions of power. What are your thoughts... This might be a bit controversial, but what are your thoughts on mechanisms like gender quotas? Do you think that's effective or in terms of... Obviously, we have like a a target state that we want to be at. In terms of that transition, how do you think we should get there?
1: Really tough question. (laughs) And quotas is also a tough one. So, like, in terms of quotas, actually women are pretty divided on this. So a recent study of at least young women revealed it was basically 50-50 of women that supported versus didn't support quotas. Now, I'm of the opinion that we shouldn't have quotas. I think that in developing nations it's really important because there's obviously, like, when like no women are in politics, for example. But in Australia, I think we have the capacity to drastically improve the way that women are treated and the amount of women in parliament. I know that labor is, I don't know whether they're at 50-50 now, but they're definitely really close federally. And I know that it's definitely possible, but I'm always preaching the importance of, like I said, like paid internship schemes, more young women in leadership kind of programs within those like youth politics branches and sides. There's a lot of ways that we can encourage women to enter into politics. Now my fear about quotas is that people will see that and then undermine that women have worked really hard to get there. But there's also a lot of barriers facing women. You know, it's the lack of flexibility. By working as an MP, you have to be away the most of your weeks of the year in Canberra or doing whatever else. Now those are really tough, but there's a lot Parliament can do to make parliament a more welcoming place and encouraging for more women. So quota-wise, at the moment I don't think so, but I think certainly within, at least with, with, you see the Liberal Party, the way that they talk about the way that women are not so happy at the moment with how they are being treated, I think that that is a cause for concern and there's certainly more to be done within their political branches to encourage more women to participate. So I think at the end of the day it's about getting women in the door, you know, getting women to be a part of these movements and that can lead into eventually into politics. So that's the barriers at a grassroots level maybe allowing women to feel like they should attend and that they will be heard and it isn't too intimidating and and they will be listened to. And
0: for those mechanisms, how do ideally start? Like, is it possible to be too early? I don't
1: think there's such a thing as being too early. There is an issue if, you know, you go into politics and you don't have any new ideas. That's an issue, no matter what age. If you're going to politics just to preach what your party preaches, entirely that, and have nothing new to bring to the conversation, then you shouldn't go in. Whether you be 50, 60, you know, 20 it doesn't matter but there are so many awesome young people that if they were in parliament it would be incredible and it for me it's all about representation it's seriously important i had a inspo wall last year at uni and i had just in arden penny wong julie bishop whatever but it would be so incredible to see more people my age going up into parliament and being heard within those kind of rooms i think that would be incredible Now, at the moment, obviously, I'm not going to go into politics anytime soon, but that's solely because I feel like I still have to develop my opinions. But I think there are plenty of young people that are switched on enough and have had the experience to say a lot about what's happening in the world around us and have meaningful ideas to think about it. Youth Congress is a perfect example of that. The fact that we came up with these incredible policy recommendations and we were well informed. To be honest, I think that's a lot more inspiring than lots of politicians that we currently have that may be older, but what are they contributing, truly?
2: Okay, this might be my disengagement speaking, but with (laughs) young people getting into politics, I think one of the biggest issues in terms of, say, if we're talking about getting elected, is funding to, like, run a campaign. And often in many developed countries, you know, the US, here, often people have to align with a party to have the platform, the support, the marketing material to get elected. To get elected as an independent, especially in Australia, you kind of need a lot of things going right in terms yeah. of the scenario. For young people who look at major parties and even like kind of your third parties like the Greens, you might be like, oh, there's a lot of infighting. Like, mm-hmm. do they really care about what I have to say? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people playing games just to get in, get pre-selection. Like student politics, there's a lot of people greasing hands for the sake of greasing yeah. hands. Um, and with that whole environment, I think a lot of young people can just feel like politics, it's a bit, it's a bit hackish, like it's not, it's not for like Mm. the true kind of diehard activists, if you know what I mean. In terms of the structural barriers for people running for election, I think even if I look Mm -hmm. at, like, I've had one friend who's incredible... One young citizen in the year in our local area, refugee background, does a lot of work with CMY, other organisations, fantastic person, ran for council, didn't Mm -hmm. really get much. There are just incumbents who are like fucking like 60, 70, just like (laughs) been on the council for like 25 years, just rolling on. And I think Mm -hmm. she's like an exception because she, you know, took that step, took the initiative to actually, hey, let's run a campaign, let's see where it goes. Yeah. But a lot of young people can be like, I don't have the money, I don't have the support, it's just yeah. a bunch of old people. How yeah. do I how do I get into this system?
1: Right, okay, I understand. Yeah, I had a girl as well, she was like 19 and she ran for counts she ended up dropping out because there was like a lot going on. So I think that don't be dissuaded by the fact that there's lots of old people. Now, you may have people that are saying, you're just a young person, you don't know anything. I've gotten that comment so many times, it's really annoying because I'm like... No, I'm actually am working to understand stuff, and I am aware of the world that's going on around me. Just because I'm 20 years old doesn't take away that you know I I care and I'm also using my voice. But anyway, just because an environment may seem like predominantly older people, isn't it important then that you go in and actually change what they're discussing, or else it's going to be the same type of conversations, and then more young people are going to look at that and say I can't do it. Now with that person that did become, they became a counselor, right? Did you say? No, oh, so they didn't they didn't get elected. Yeah, no. But even the fact that it's, it's visibility at the end of the day, you know, even they didn't get elected, there is other young people. I still remember that girl that ran. I still remember her, and then I remember looking at it and being like, maybe I could do that, and that had never crossed my mind. So it's the fact of, of putting your hand up and going for it, and that will make them respect not only you but young people as a whole as well by actually you having a go and putting your hand up there. And I know that financially it is difficult, I, I, and I'm actually not entirely sure of, the costs of councillor versus MP and whatnot, but I wouldn't say be dissuaded by the reputation of politics because you can change that. You might not change it all, you might not change everything, but you being in that is the first step rather than not being in it at all. That's what I always say.
2: Young people who want to engage with kind of federal or state issues yeah. and they want to take it to their parliamentarian, often that's an avenue that people might try once and be a bit dissuaded by, and especially if, you know your local member isn't someone of, like, your political persuasion. Do you still think that young people should be using that avenue or do you think we can make a bigger difference on social media or turning up at rallies or, you know, signing petitions?
1: It isn't one or the other, I think. So even things like signing petitions, like that's some level of engagement that you're having. Even if you don't want to go to the streets, you know, you can just do that. And, and, and even myself... It's not too often that I go to an MP's office, I'm like, hey, this is what I care about. I, as a fact, use social media more, and I think that's also what young people use. So I think there's immense power in those kind of movements. I I refer again to, like, the plebiscite, just by seeing the the amount of young people that registered, and that was through social media at the end of the day. So I think, and, and what's happening with, you know, Manus and Aru, and I feel like young people really, really care about that kind of issue. That's a lot of through social media. So I think there's a, there's huge power in that. But what made me realize that also engaging with MPs was important was when I was in Girls Take Over Parliament, and I was sitting with my MP, I was chairing a meeting, and they were saying, oh, we, the, it was a bunch of um, mayors, and they said, oh, we want to build this airport here. And MP said, oh, but we haven't gotten any constituent support for that. You know, no one's actually been really pushing for that. And I know that was a bigger kind of industrial airport kind of situation, but it made me realise, I was like, wow, so they actually listen. I, it just, it didn't really strike me before, but they were like, oh, so they would maybe take action if there was people speaking for that. So I've done engagement in terms of getting young people to talk about the Adani coal mine and meet with their local MP. And for example, you know, with Tree as well, like engagement with MPs there. So I think that young people shouldn't underestimate the power of actually doing that face-to-face engagement as well, and putting the issue on the table. But don't stop there either. Make sure that there is also, you know, there's so much activist kind of movements taking place as well, which is just as important. So if you're just more passive and decide to like also look into um, petitions, then that isn't a bad thing as well. All of these are working towards whatever common goal that you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. but by absolutely using your voice, and it really genuinely makes a difference. They actually do hear it. But lots of young people feel like, what's the point? But by being in that meeting, it really hit home. They do want to hear from people, and they do want to hear what you're thinking.
0: During your experience in NGOs like Oxfam and stuff like that, yeah. did you ever feel that maybe you could have, I don't know, maybe like a different type of impact, maybe? a quicker type of impact in those organisations?
1: See, I'm a big fan of my Briggs and I feel like it's almost like different personality types that take well to these kind of movements. But for me, I think there was, it was really interesting in upskilling myself in that kind of area and understanding more issues. But it, it made me think that I actually do prefer policy and like within the government space in terms of what I do, I feel like that's more my strengths. I'm less of a like, on-the-ground kind of campaign and just because of my personality style as well. But I suppose the the value for me that it served was just, first of all, teaching me that young people are doing incredible work in this space and the fact that it's also, like, organised movements, how to campaign, how to build momentum, you know, how to reach out to people of importance and sway their decisions and whatnot. But it was just more of, like, that initial foundation to get me on the right track to pursue all of the opportunities that I've done since then. So it taught me even more that I am really interested in, in this political and government area. And I think, for me, I will probably stay in that kind of area. But it certainly made me more aware of the movements that's going on around me. And, you know, if I ever get into that, if I ever become a politician or something similar, I'll definitely be open-minded and be listening because I know the amount of work and effort that goes into these kind of things. Young people just giving up hundreds and Hours and upon hours, I just, it's just crazy. Which is also an issue, which is but the lack of paid um, work within these areas for young people interested in activism and becoming a leader can also be challenging, but separate issue itself. So I'm really grateful to those for just giving me the skills to what I use to this day about getting my voice heard on a national
2: level.
0: And I guess sort of like a similar idea. Do you ever find yourself having to justify your approach to change? For example, there might be friends who take particular action, like maybe they're not fanatics and untrue and they see you as a political person like oh you're going have no change in the long run like do you ever find that you're in that situation where you have to try and convince people around you that yes i'm still part of this ecosystem of change
1: i have a lot of interests across a varied amount of things i feel like i've you know worked across government ngos think tanks a whole variety of stuff so for me i have to justify it less because i think they can see that i've also put in the effort i'm not just coming from a position of privilege and being like I just want to get into politics I care about my own ego and that's about it so I think they can see that I truly do care so in that respect it hasn't been so difficult because I think that young people can realize there is an important relationship there between the campaign versus the people that are in politics so it's not like they're completely separate in fact I think it's important that young people split between those kind of areas that you're working on a campaign, another young person is interested in politics, so on and so forth. Like, this is an ecosystem of young people within themselves that can help out one another. So you know, I've, I've worked with more campaigning types of young people, I've worked with young people across various areas, and we look out for each other. We network and we help each other out. So I think on that as well, it's less people that are, that are criticising the fact that I am, am in this space, but I've also had people criticise, why do you care? you know, what's the point in even doing this? Like it's, is it just an ego boost for you, whatever? And it's learning to be like, no, like I'm not even just doing this for solely a resume. I actually really care that more young women should be in politics. I really care that this kind of change would happen. I I think with my experience, like, no people that are low income should just be continually denied opportunities. And I'm gonna continue to speak about that. So it's also learning how to ignore the people that say, what's the point, There's, there's no point and just to stay on your own track. That's something that I've had to learn.
2: Probably working towards wrapping up, thinking about what's, what's next for you? Like, what's the kind of goals? Obviously, you talked a lot about politics, possibly getting to parliament one day. Yeah, what's on the horizon?
1: It's always tricky as a young person because it's like, I don't know, because there's so many things to do. What I am trying to think about right now is that, well, when I graduate, what would I like to get into? That is pretty daunting because there's a whole amount of stuff that I care about. I guess it's a good problem to have because I do really care about a lot of different things. But I think that I might want to take some more international opportunities this year. So, I mean, this year I'm interested in international law. So I'm going into the Red Cross uh, Humanitarian Law Advisory Committee, which is largely older people that are actually worked in international law. But I think this year I'd like to build off what I've already started, so, you know, less of the initial just kind of volunteer positions and more about thinking internationally I mean there's awesome stuff in the Hague you know there's the UN internships I'd love to kind of do more work overseas I'm also really interested in the Pacific so I've just recently been interning with Pacific Women's Network so working to um, empower young women within that area to feel like they can enter the politics to speak out against domestic violence and things like that so interested to just see what other parts of the world are doing I've just been really very curious I think that's this year I just want to learn more so I've been reading even a lot of philosophy and, and trying to challenge my own ideas and opinions so I think rather than almost just getting involved in anything I can it's just about expanding my mindset and my idea about leadership and challenging what I already know because I think that will help me in the long run as, as well and being more in tune with how I'm feeling and in, in, in my mind so hopefully there's going to be a few more plane trips this year and just being in the hub of what's going on whether it be international law or diplomacy, I think I'd gain a lot from that.
2: We normally wrap up with the same two questions. The first is, is there anything else you would like to add? Just given, you know, it's an audience of young people passionate about making a difference. And also, are there any books or films or resources that you would recommend for young people?
1: So I think the what I would say, and I said this before, but just get started. I think there's a lot of fear that, oh, if I can't do, you know, what if this doesn't work? what do you care about? You might not have to know all of it, but you know, what are you passionate about? Then just look for opportunities volunteer wise and just get involved and start talking to people that inspire you as well. Crucial to what I've done so far. Just network your heart out, not for even the sake of networking, but just out of To learn more so i would say that to all young people and don't be afraid and embarrassed about what other people think of you by doing that it will pay off for you in the long run and if you follow what you care about and where your heart leads you then you know to me it will just mean success if you're truly working and hustling and doing what you care about so that would be my advice Book-wise, that's a really interesting one. Well, like I said, I have been trying to read more philosophy recently. So I think I recently read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and it was just an interesting one about even when we're talking about the idea of worrying what people are thinking about you, it, it does kind of hone in that it's like developing your principles and reflecting on them within yourself and you realize the outside world is just a lot of noise so just start off by reading some like classic philosophy I would say that's super interesting and challenging what you're being taught within your own environment and making you think a little bit wider than what you're currently doing so that would be my my advice book
2: wise cool awesome awesome yeah thanks so much Jasmine. appreciate it